0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Executive. Excited to be joined uh, today by someone with multiple uh, experience in a lot of different roles and is doing something really unique right now, was the COO of Glue at one point, the digital GM, uh, global GM of uh, WPP, and is now on to his next role as the CEO of Rook Capital, which are really going after something that maybe is one of we have a lot, of, a lot of issues in the U.S., a lot of good things going on as well. But one of the biggest problems we're facing is just home affordability and making sure more people have uh, the equal opportunity to own a home. So I'm really excited uh, to be joined by Ed Messman, who's the, the CEO of Rook Capital. Ed great, to, Ed, great to have you here today.
1: Thanks, Matt. Really, really great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely.
0: Well, l- let's just hop right in. Um, you know, as I was saying uh, in the intro, as probably we've seen the last couple of years, things maybe have cooled down uh, in the last few months, but we've just seen housing prices, you know, skyrocket. And you're really trying to tackle this problem, where, you know, on one hand it's great because this is in a, so for a lot of people, it's their biggest investment to see yeah. that investment do well. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, that means they're getting left behind. It can't even entry point is just getting too high for them to ever own a home. So, love to hear how Real Capital is solving for this and where your whole team got excited about this problem to to try to tackle it.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'm new to real estate. Um, so, um, as we got into the problem, I had to kind of really learn how the whole, uh, housing finance industry worked. And, uh, fortunately, um, we've got a good team of friends and colleagues and now who are now advisors who helped us early on. Um, but if, if you think about what you just said, you know, most Americans have their net worth tied up in their house, right? And that if, for, I think, any investment advisor, they probably say that's probably not a wise idea to be so concentrated. Um, and um, I think that the current construct of housing, the 30-year mortgage, was designed to be a forced savings program. Um, yeah. And that really hasn't evolved much over the last, you know, few decades. Um So we looked at, we looked at also, we looked at a couple of other things. One is just this generation, they think differently. I've got three kids, 22, 21 and 18, and they think very differently than we did, than I did growing up. Um, And ownership is, is a very different construct for them. They, they grew up sharing things. They grew up in an Airbnb economy and an Uber economy. so they're just more comfortable, and, and these concepts take years and years and generations to finally mature and evolve. You know, big industry like real estate, um, but the idea is that um, how can we help um, more people get into home ownership and reduce the amount that they have to um, finance to get into a home? Because um, that's really the driver. When you go to a when you go to a bank today and you get a mortgage. It's usually 80%, um, 95% of the home if it's an FHA loan. um, That bank generally, eight times, nine times out of 10, they sell that loan to Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, FHA. And then those institutions, which are um, government-sponsored enterprises, they package them up and sell them in mortgage-backed securities pools to Wall Street. And so we looked at that construct and we said, what if, what if, we created two things one what if we created an instrument that allowed investors to partner with home buyers uh, and by doing that it allowed two things one is it allowed the home buyer to finance less of the house but still enjoy everything about home ownership they're on the uh, they're on title they get to live there they can do whatever they want with it um and they, they can have, decide
0: when to sell
1: they can decide when to sell there's no yeah. there's no difference except for the fact that you have a silent partner that at the same time is investing alongside you in that house and gets an equity ownership in that house um, and helps you get into that house by allowing you to finance less of it. You own, you don't own hundred percent of it. Um, but what if, what if it allowed you to save, you know, um, hundreds of dollars every month that you could redeploy um, into other areas of your life? Um, yeah. Which may include investing in the stock market or saving for a college fund or Paying down, you know, student loan debt, whatever it may be, um, so it's almost you can almost think of it as we're deleveraging the U.S. consumer and their housing payment, and allowing them to live with more financial margin in their lives by inviting investors to participate with them in the home ownership journey. And so that's what we that's what we created. Um, it's you know it is a big marketplace, as you know, and it's highly highly regulated, um, and so we've had to navigate a lot of that complexity, um, but uh, we're excited about um, the narrative of helping this generation, which as you know, we, we all read the same headlines. They are um, being forced to rent longer and longer because they can't afford to buy a home. And and I would, I would say, I'm 52 now, I would say if that happens, like if this generation ends up renting for five, seven, eight years longer than they ought to, than I, my generation did. That probably doesn't bode well for the next generation of of the middle class of the U.S. And so we think that um, we think that there's a model that can help this generation get into more affordable
0: housing. Yeah, it's interesting. I the the, the original thought when I was reading up about what you're doing was for sure it makes sense. For a lot of people, who can't afford the down payment, right, to get help from the investor, but it's also the should they really be putting that much money towards real estate when they're not putting money to anything else, right? You're, you're helping them to spread out their risk a little bit. What I'm, what I'm curious about is for the investors who are investing alongside of them. You know, one nice thing investor is when you buy a house on your own or, or, you know, let's say you're buying just regular securities, right. Or just stocks, you can decide when to sell. But what it sounds like is you don't really, you're if this person that you're investing alongside with decides to be in their home for five, seven, 10 years, that is that money pretty well locked up? Or is the idea that it's because it's in a huge pool, you can constantly see returns yeah. since, you know, there it is such a big pool. OK.
1: Yeah. There, well, there's two things there. One is as an investor coming in, um, you have to you have to take an initial investment thesis that you want a long term position in single family residential real estate in whatever markets that we're serving. Today, it's Colorado um, yep. we will open up new markets um, this year. Um, so you have, to, you have to think about holding that for a period of time. Now, the, the benefit of a pool is that you may have early redemptions or people selling <clears> three <throat> years versus eight years. So on average, it'll be less than the 10 years that um, our investment is locked in at. Um, the second thing is we're building, um, we're building the infrastructure for um, a secondary market. So if, in, if you invest in the pool, uh, let's just say you need liquidity in three years, um, you could say, okay, I want to sell some of my shares in this pool on a secondary market. Um, and so it's this idea of creating liquidity in real estate that doesn't exist today. And you'll see a lot of this this year and next year where big asset managers are starting to tokenize their assets to allow you to trade on a secondary market to
0: a wider audience of investors. So you're so you're saying if, if you're in the first fund or not really a fund, but you're one of the investors, you own somebody of these houses, and it, it's still a pool, right? Regardless, it's still a pool. It's, yeah, it's still a pool. There's you can one. go. You can then say, "Hey, I I I want to sell out of this. I want to get some return now because right. I want to go invest in something else." I can come along and say, "Great, I'll buy you out at, at yeah. this price." Yeah, there's just a determined by rook capital just just
1: like no it'll be the market so the more so rook may say oh, hey, the price the price is 100 and and you may say i'm willing to sell for 101 and the investor may say oh, you know what i'm not i'll buy it for 10 100.5 and you can right. see just like you would your you know an amazon stock right, right. You, you, you yeah get, you set the same limit anyone can decide right anyone can decide so the market makes the price we, we will provide a net asset value of what we think the price is worth, but that's that's based on some model that we license, um, and, um, and so the market will determine what they think the price is worth. So as an example, if you know something about Denver, which is where you're located, like yeah. let's just make something up. If you knew Google was about to announce a thousand new people to move to Denver for a new office, yeah. you might say – well, I'm, I I'm just kidding. You yeah, know, you should
0: know this. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Yeah.
1: Then you might say, "Boy, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be bullish on real estate in Denver." Um, yeah. Conversely, you might say, "Hey, I just heard that Google's moving out, um, and they're going to vacate 500 jobs." You might go short on Denver.
0: But the same, right. the same, the same type like of index fund.
1: Yeah, it's like an index fund. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's super interesting. So that that that's fascinating for the investor. You know, opportunity. One, you're you're like, and I like how your website lays it out. It's a great opportunity for an investor, but it's also like you're doing good, right? You're helping people get into homes, which yeah. the other day is a huge part of the human experience and, and life. On the on the actual buying a home, what is like what? How much affordable does it make it? And so, if they're going to put down five or twenty percent, what yeah. are they what are they able now to put down? Yeah, What's so today's.
1: Today we have a couple programs. Um, one of which is a five percent and a ten percent down program. Um, they're okay. slightly they're slightly different, but they're um, the same kind of essence. Um, depending on which program you you use, um, we work through the the existing channel of realtors and mortgage the mortgage lending ecosystem. We have partners on both. Um, cool. And depending on what your profile is for first time home buyers, a lot of them use FHA and um, mm-hmm. an FHA loan. Um, which is 97% financing, and yep. with that, with that comes a few strings. You have to um, pay a higher ins- insurance rate, um, and um, that just increases your monthly payment. So, um, effectively, what we can do is is if they bring five percent down, we will bring up to 15% down, and that moves them away from any mortgage insurance. And then our lending partner, our lending partner will do 80% loan to value on the house. So effectively two things one you're avoiding the P, the pmi which is the um, um yeah it's pretty costly and you're financing less of the house yeah um so um th- we, we have a bunch of different models um anywhere from saving um on an average home in denver which i think is six hundred and twenty thousand dollars something like that
0: yeah um, crazy
1: yeah you, you you could save 800 to 1200 dollars a month um with our program now the program doesn't fit for everyone, but for a lot of people, it will allow them to get into a home, set some roots, um, start to save money where where they um, where they can kind of redeploy it or build a you know a 90-day savings plan or something, um, and um, and and have a little more financial margin in their life. Um, yeah. So that's that's um, that's kind of the, the the path that we're focused on. Is is we think there's a number of I would say the first-time home buyers, twenty-eight to thirty-five year olds, in that season of their they're just starting their homeownership journey. Um, yeah. This is
0: this is an option for them to consider. Um, are are you filtering out people who don't necessarily need this? You know, quite. Yeah. Let's say a, like a, a let's say a multimillionaire says, "I don't really want to put down you know X percent. I'd actually rather use your program and put my money elsewhere." Can he yeah. use Rook Capital? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they can. They can.
0: They can use anybody for, can. Anybody can. Super interesting. Yep. So we have had some
1: folks that said, "Hey, I don't want to deploy. I don't want to touch my other assets. I'd rather keep those assets performing where they're at, and then just share some of the equity. Or I'm going to save some of my cash to do home improvements after I buy. And so I'm willing to give you some of the equity and use my cash that I have on hand to to buy the place with the down payment, and then cool. Yeah,
0: it's a really cool idea. I'm sure the actual execution is super hard, but
1: well, there's a lot um, of moving pieces, which is why right. we we said, hey, we've got to we have to slot right into the existing process. We can't make any yeah. new moving parts because there's already a lot of moving parts. So we rely on our partners, the realtors and the mortgage lenders, to drive a lot of the same process, and we just kind of slot into that whole pro-
0: that whole workflow. So you you said before pretty well. You know, you're you're new to real estate what made you want to get into this then
1: yeah you and, and know you. yeah it's um um you know i i i mentioned i'm um i've done this for a while so you in your career you kind of look for those opportunities that have the opportunity to make a big impact so it's a big yeah. market um and it's one that was intellectually challenging um uh and two um where you could feel like um, you could move the needle uh, in your yeah. career, right? And so this one, this one lined up a lot of those um, for me, and it just felt like we had a couple of at the at the time we started thinking about this, we had a couple of uh, situations where this would have been a perfect solution for someone to use, and it just didn't exist. And so it just occurred to me that it feels to me like. The, mar- the housing market has about a five to seven year tailwind on on housing affordability until supply catches up because supply has been really the biggest contributor to why housing prices have been so high. Um, yeah. and, and that's not going to correct overnight. You just can't create new houses that right. fast. And all the data I've seen um, suggests that we're going backwards, not forwards in that regard. So it just felt like this generation is a big generation. They're... You know they're they're way behind on home ownership rates relative to my generation and the generation before, and yeah. they are facing a daunting reality as they start to think about setting roots and just think about starting your family. How old, how, how many years you've been married?
0: Oh man, um, six years. Go six on, years. Six, so, six years. Yeah. yeah
1: so we, my wife and I got married when we were twenty six. We had our first kid at thirty. So you're kind you're kind of in that it's season of life where you're, like, right. you're like thinking about your family it's like oh I want to set some roots and then guess what when they start getting older you think about school districts I didn't I never thought about that and you're like well we should buy a house to make sure we're in a good school there's all these things totally. that it feels like we're in a season where um, affordability is going to be an issue
0: right no yeah. totally It already is and now you got institutional investors coming in to buying homes. Right. And they're buying mass amount of homes, making it even, even tougher uh, for affordability and, and constantly bringing less supply to the market. Right. So that'll continue. I see.
1: Well, I I think that's another contributing factor to housing prices is that those buyers tend to overpay. um, But At the same time, I, I, you know, I, I keep track of this. I think they will be quick sellers if the market starts to slide. Right. So, I think I think we could all agree that it's our communities that are that are consumed by institutional investors, homeownership, probably not good. Right. Yeah. You probably right. want you want young families to be homeowners in your community, raise their
0: kids. Totally. The community. It's a different so, dynamic.
1: Yeah. And, and listen, at the, at the end of the day, rent rent is we're not going to displace rent ever. Right. People yeah. need to rent. People will always rent. Um some people will have a gift from their mom and dad or a rich uncle that allows them to put down that down payment. A lot of people don't have the rich parents or the rich uncle, and they need totally. help. Um, and so that's where we step in. And and the, the fact of the matter is I think Fannie uh, suggests there'll be 4.2 million home purchases in 2023. Some people say that'll be half, but um, 2 million people, you know, this is gets back to the house how big the market is. Um, um, we don't need to move the needle that much to make an impact, um, particularly in Colorado. So we're focused in Colorado right now, Boulder, Fort Collins, um, Denver. We're looking at the mountain communities
0: that have unique yeah. sets too. Yeah, it's pretty cool what you guys are doing. I do want to talk about uh, your background as well, because you've got a lot of experience across a lot of different roles. You've got CEO experience, you know, from Glue, and like I was saying, you're, you're the head of um, the gm for wpp for a while you were also you have some ceo experience you are banking right and so you've got so many different experiences you know generally it'd be interesting to just understand what really you know how did you get into so many great roles through your career how did so many different opportunities come knocking or you know how did you go find them
1: yeah yeah i I viewed um, the first half of my career, and it kind of splits this way. My first half of my career, I spent in finance, uh, banking, um, uh, venture debt with a few different firms. Um, And I would say that was my training ground. I got to see a lot of different companies. Um, I got to structure a lot of different financing instruments. Um, And I also got to work through two bubbles, the 2000 uh, crash and the 2008 crash. and, um, and so I, I kind of viewed that as my, my learning experience, my training ground. And then from there, it was a series of intentional progressive roles where I really, I really looked at the size of the platform. And I, I, I use platform as an abstract word. It's like, how, how big of an impact can we make? Do, is it, do I have the right, do we have the right team? Do we have the right, um, adri- how big the market is? And do I think that we can succeed? and you know you can look at you can look at um each of those roles that i took as almost um platform opportunities to make the biggest impact and and also it was a it was a fastest path to learning as well because yeah. um you know operating a company is very different than investing in a company and um yeah. i think that here i am on you know my fourth or fifth startup and you just learn new things every time. Uh, every everything's new, but you learn you learn a couple of um, you know shortcuts here and there. What mistakes try not to make again, um, and each time you get a little smarter. Um, but I will tell you, you discover new things with every startup because they're every startups got a different Macro
0: market.
1: Right? <laughs> market environment, so um, it gives you a little bit of wisdom. But I think what it also does is it humbles you. In a way that um, you can relate to your employees better, you can recruit better, you can engage your partners better, um, and so that's what I found over my my last fifteen years in particular.
0: When you would get into a new role, you know, whatever that role was, did you do certain things to set up yourself for success in the beginning?
1: Yeah, I I yeah. just because of my training, you know, as a finance guy and working with startups for. Uh, 13 years. Um, I think it was just intuitive to me to understand every facet of the business. Like, um, What's the business model? How do we make money? Who are the main players that drive that um, for us? Is it development? Is it sales? Is it customer success? Is it finance? Um, And so getting your arms quickly around all the levers of the business um, and what it was going to take to make successful, and usually because I usually work with startups. Then you yeah. then you try to say, okay, now what are the capital requirements of the business? Do we need five million dollars to get um, this off the ground? Do we need ten? Just depends on what the business model was. And and I I always when I first started the roles, I would try to get a sense of how how are we, we going to be successful? What resources do we need? And how do we go get them? Um, and so that's what that's generally what I found. Um, to be most successful because if you don't know all of those levers to be successful then you're going
0: to be operating you know in a handicap position right so first 30 days just be a sponge taking as much as you can understand everything yeah and then figure out what the strategy is from there yeah
1: yeah understand the business model first understand the the environment that you're operating in are you are you in a red ocean of competitors um what what
0: team time peace time
1: yeah 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 <laughs> right yeah. exactly. yeah I, I mean honestly um are you where are you at in the market cycle um yeah. and what team do you have to work with
0: right yeah what have, i mean through different roles that you've been into you've obviously i'm sure learned so much about leadership and you've seen the good the bad from other people then also from yourself and the best way to lead are there certain things that really stick out to you in leadership of like man that was that to me was like the best lesson in leadership, and how to be a great leader.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, w- there, I would say there's a couple, one one that were, some that were not great examples. I, I think you see, a, a lot of times you see a lot of leadership um, by fear and tyranny. Um, yeah. I, I say that kind of jokingly, but it, you know, it's people true. that are, are, <laughs> you know, are, are heavy fisted, right? Like you do it, you do it my way and don't ask questions. Um, and I've worked for you know a number of those um, types of folks, um, very smart um, and very driven, and very successful. Um, and I've also worked with other folks that um, that are very transparent and very relational. Um, and it's almost like how do you blend them both? Because I think I think I think the people on your team they want to be inspired. Um, they want to feel like they're part of something that. Um, they can kind of get their heads wrapped around and feel good about waking up every day and going to work. Um,
0: right.
1: But they also want, I think they, my experience is they want someone that's gonna be authentic, um, that's gonna be transparent, relatable, uh, but also they believe um, can lead to success um, because everyone can choose to use their time in many different ways, right? Yeah. Especially for start, Startups are hard, right? You, yeah. It requires a lot of intensity um, a lot of time and energy and things are not perfect. They rarely are. Um, and so it requires a unique person to be on board with you. And that, that person, um, needs to be inspired, um, needs yeah. to believe that they can be part of creating something impactful and, um, and wants to kind of go down that journey with you. So I, I, I think that those are some of the attributes you, you can't, you can't have one, you can't be on one end or the other, like, being right in the middle feels like a good place to be, but I, I've always led with um, transparency and authenticity, and sometimes that's burned me. Um, yeah, I, I would I would rather defer to being <clears throat> fully transparent and relatable and authentic, and um, everyone knows what they're dealing with, and everyone's adults. Everyone are adults. Yeah. They make their own right. decisions. on Whether they knew they, what they signed up for, they knew what they signed up for. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: It's interesting startups. Startups a lot of times have more transparency than you know some of these big companies. And some some of the really great leaders that I've seen, they're able to be slightly vulnerable or yeah. very vulnerable, but still inspire their people. Right? They don't yeah. they don't have vulnerable to the point of like oh wow he was very honest he doesn't know what he's doing right. Like they still really inspire a lot of confidence. And I, I find that's a really hard blend to be vulnerable, yeah. but yet still inspire people that you know you can lead them to the yeah. water.
1: Well, and I think I think I think you I think you've made a really interesting comment. You can't be vulnerable and not know what the hell you're doing, right? Yeah. You good have, point. Yeah. To be vulnerable, you have to. Hey, this is the plan, and we're yeah. going to set a high pace, and we're going to execute. And I'm not saying it's going to guarantee success, but we're going to. You know, we have everyone. You know what the plan is. I know what the plan is. Let's go execute the plan. And um, and I think people can kind of get their head wrapped around that. It's like okay. I, I think that makes sense
0: intuitively and um I will I will get on board with that. Yeah. yeah. You you know you noted this earlier and I'm sure there's a few scars, but were there were there a couple of challenges that you went through that at the time I'm sure were super painful, but you look back and you're like, I I'm really thankful for that experience. Like I learned a lot. Yeah. That. Um
1: I think I've been mo- I spent most of my career in tech. Um yeah. and
0: um
1: I think in software in particular, software's hard. Um, And if you don't have a good dev team and a good product team, you can get bamboozled. Um, And you don't know, like as a non-technical founder, you really don't, you can't really assess whether or not you're making progress or not. Um, Yeah. And you think things
0: are working behind the scenes and they're not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So I've been burned a couple of times there. That's really painful. Um, It's very humbling. and you learn to appreciate good development leaders and good product managers, um, and um, and so that's one one uh, I think scar scars these guys there. Um, uh, and then I think also managing uh, managing your your burn rate early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Um,
0: Super relevant right now, right? Yeah it, it is, yeah, it
1: is. I mean, really, it is. Um, um, and it's you know, if you if you're established, it's really hard because you you know you've got to cut expenses, and that's generally yeah. people, um, right? But in the early days of a startup, until you have really good product market fit, um, try to stay as lean as you can, uh, because yeah. inevitably, what you think, you know, you don't really know until you get right. to market, right? And um. You know you have a point of view um and you have identified a market need but you don't really know until you get your product to market so i'm a big believer in speed um like we move very very fast and and a lot of times people get frustrated on how fast we're moving but i'm also a big believer until you get your product to market you really don't know how the what the fit's going to be yeah you just got to get to market you just got to get to market so um yeah so we try to move as fast as we can which has been hard here because it's a highly regulated industry like we can't you can't take shortcuts on regulatory compliance um and yeah. so we've we've had that we've had to um take our time and um and and with
0: good counsel to um to do what we're trying to do how do you balance you know speed when you still want, you know, maybe for perfectionist, or you're just really good at, you know, what you do, and you, you take pride in good work, and knowing like you have to sacrifice a little bit of that for speed, that, that yeah. may not be perfect going out the door, and is yeah. a little bit of just humility, you know, how do how do you balance that?
1: Yeah, I think you got to. I think you you got to focus on the right things and let the other things go. Like good is good enough. Yeah. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes is from Mark Andreessen. He says, "If you're not embarrassed by your first product, then you've launched too late." Um, yeah. and so yeah, it's, that's a good point. I think it. I think it's really a really good reminder that, again, you can think you know what it is, but until you get it to market, that's when you get real market feedback. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, we we push we push pretty fast and hard, and I think as a leader, you got to set by you got to set the tone, so you got to lead by example. Yeah. Um, so you you know you're setting the tone for everyone else, and it just that that requires you know you to work a bit more hours and be on top of uh, all the moving pieces
0: is your is your number one focus then as the ceo of our earlier stage company company, just product market fit figuring out what that is and then scale
1: yeah product market fit capital management and then the path to scale um yep and so you know as you raise money from from private equity or venture you you have to have your arms around some of these facets like hey we think that the product is this here's the you know, here's the problem we're we're solving. Here's a couple of proof points. If you have some traction, here's how big that market is, and here's how here's our revenue model, right? And then here's the team that's going to execute it. Those are the things you got to kind of check the box. Um, yeah. Um, but then then you got to really focus on okay, can we get this product to market? Can we be capital efficient? And then um, what you know we're not in we're not we we're not interested in building this business to do ten deals like we want to yeah. do thousands of deals. So how how do we think about getting to scale without building a whole big business? Right. Yeah. That's
0: well said. Um as we you know start to wrap up, what I would love to hear what's the you know 10 long 10 year long term vision for real capital? What do you envision this? What's the what's the long term vision of what you can build here?
1: I think we are and there are some there's some recent posts from from some smart, uh well read and well researched folks that have been recently um, introduced to the market. And I think that um, they talk about we're on this um, evolution of um, ownership as a new paradigm. And mm-hmm. as an example, um, just kind of a side note, I was mm-hmm. I was describing what we were doing to my son. My I have a 22-year-old son and a 21-year-old son. And I said, hey, could you take this back to your college roommates and explain what this is? And he said, well, I don't really know what a 30-year mortgage is. And I said, well, let me tell you what a 30-year mortgage is. And he kind of gave me a cross-eyed look like, 30-year mortgage? Why, why would I ever be in a place 30 years? Why would I make a decision
0: for 30 years? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then as I continue to explain what we're trying to do, he said, wait a minute. What you're telling me is I could own 30% of three homes versus 100% of one home. And while that's not exactly right, it's directionally, he directionally right, right? He's yeah. like, I don't want to just live in one place. So I want to own a couple of different places, but I don't need to own hundred percent of it. I just want to use right. it. And it's, I think you're starting to see models like that, where you have co-ownership in something that you get high value utility out of, but you don't have to pay for it all. Right. Yeah. Um, um,
0: and isn't—and that's probably such great feedback for you. If you're thinking he's going to come back with this, but he actually comes back with something totally different. And you're yeah. like, that's what your generation is thinking about. Yeah. And that's your buyer. We yeah. got to
1: we got to stick around until he's ready to buy a house. So we got to survive. Right. <laughs> but I think the idea that we are entering a new phase of ownership, um, yeah. and that could be that could be your home, that could be your car, that could be your boats, um, that could be a number of things. Um, and secondly, I think the shared equity it, we call it the shared value investment, but it's a shared equity financing instrument that invites investors who want to invest in that asset. To participate with you, so introducing that financing construct to housing is our long-term um, um, vision. And then, and then, lastly, you know the impact of this. Uh, imagine if we can move a hundred thousand or a million new people that are just on the verge of being able to own a home, uh, or just look at it and say, "I don't really want to spend four thousand dollars a month on my mortgage um, because yeah. I live in a high-priced city." Of San right. Jose or Boulder or Austin, Texas, um, or name you know, there's probably 25 different cities that have now high-priced markets. I want to own, but I can't afford it. I'm not willing to compromise, you know, being financed over leveraged to, to do it. And so, um, so you know, we have we have a goal of moving obviously thousands of um, first-time home buyers and
0: second-time home buyers into homes. I never, yeah, it's, I'm going back to your earlier comment of what he said, cause it's really stuck with me that the new generation is more like, I don't need to own hundred percent of my home. I'm, I would rather just own several homes and maybe, you know, yeah. move around, whatever that looks like. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm so used to just wanting that be in one place. <laughs> yeah. But this it's is, gonna, it's the whole it's Airbnb gonna thing. Time.
1: It's going to take time. And I'm not, I'm not condoning him to own three homes. Cause you got property tax, you got maintenance, you got insurance. All right. right? Yeah. But you don't want to get into that all, yeah, all that but the, mo- that. the models, yeah. the models that will emerge to meet that kind of need and, yeah. and to lower the costs of housing by doing that and inviting other investors to participate with you, that just seems like like it should work. Um and yeah. um but you know, uh you know, we've got some work to do to make it make yeah. it make it happen.
0: That's pretty cool. Um well you know, through your career, I don't know if you're an avid book reader, but I'm sure you've read a book or two. Uh, Is there one that really stuck with you as a super helpful in your career that you'd recommend other people?
1: Yeah, you know, well, you're right. I've read, I've read a bunch of business books. um, um, And I think the longer I've been doing this, um, the one book, um, there's a couple books, but there's probably one book that comes to mind. It's um, called The Monk and the
0: Riddle. Have you heard of it? i have heard of it yeah i've never read it though
1: yeah um and the, i think the 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 essence of that book was um almost if i could if i could roll it up to the highest level it's like hey you're in this startup you're in this business but it's a long game like we am yeah. going to probably do something after rook um i've you know I've i've participated in eight to nine different companies It's a long journey, like you have a long career ahead of you. And in each one of those companies, you're relating to and treating people um, uniquely, right? You're you're establishing relationships, you're hiring and firing, um, you're promoting, you're mentoring. And um, I think that um, in in essence it says, don't compromise on um, delaying what you want in life for the sake of the intensity of this particular moment in your business um, because it is a long game um, and i think yeah. i think in what i what i've experienced is there's many people in my network that i've worked with 7 years ago 8 years ago that i'm working with again today and that's because of of you know the relationship that we had 7 8 years ago and i think just like you you're going to have relationships that will reintersect your life in yeah. 5 10 15 years that you don't know um, so yeah. it's it's enjoying the journey of life, being a being a leader that treats people with respect um, and authenticity um, and recognizing that life is more than just this business that you're working on. Right. It's yeah, it's your wife. It's your it's your family, it's your friends and um, and your own
0: kind of soul. Well, it's probably a little bit of being in tech. You see some that they just it's one thing, right? It's just work, right? And it's only work. And they put everything else to the side where it sounds like the book is saying it doesn't have to be just work. You can still do really well at work. Yeah. Life is long. Don't sacrifice, you know, your family, those relationships, knowing that they, you know, life's long. You need them on the journey. Yeah. it sounds like, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, Well, as we wrap, is there one piece of advice that you love to share to other CEOs? executives that to you has, you know, really helped you in your career that you'd love to share? Um,
1: yeah, for me, for me in my career, and I think, I think it applies. I think it should apply. Um, like in the, in the businesses that you participate in, that you spend your waking hours, you spend a lot of time at work. Um, like there's got to be something meaningful, purposeful about what you do, because yeah. in, inevitably, um, there's ups and downs in any business, whether it's established or a startup. And in those moments, for me at least, I always come back to like, why am I doing this? Like, is this exciting to me? Because I could be spending my time doing something else. Um, And for me at least, it's like, hey, is this worth me spending all of this energy, um, physical, emotional, mental energy, trying to make this happen and that's what draws me to these getting through the hard days and the, the days that are um, um, that are exciting um, and the team that's you're trying to instill um, you know some vision and inspiration um, but if you don't have that purpose or, or mission then it, I think it's hard in the hard yeah. times you're like this is miserable and I'm not sure yeah. what I'm doing um, so it's almost like an anchor. Um, for especially startups, because startups are hard. There's all yeah. there's good days and bad days, and sometimes many of them on the same 24 hour period. Um, yeah. Right. So you have to constantly be reminded of like, why am I doing this, and is it worth
0: my time? Yeah, the mission drives you through the hard times, and the yeah. mission state statement can't be can't be more right. Yeah. It can't be the mission statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 And I think that's well, the challenge yeah. is how do you find. How do you
1: find that mission
0: statement if you work for a
1: well-established company and yeah. um and it, it might mean that you mentor your team differently or it might yeah. mean that you um engage with your partners differently um but i think somehow or You're another back in
0: their lives yeah. In. Yeah. yeah yeah or you go work for a startup right that has a mission <laughs> that you get excited about like rook capital that'll test, that'll test your
1: metal for sure um, yeah. it's, it's exciting. It's, it, you know, it feels good at the end of the day, you know, we, we're going to all be, uh, I don't want to end it on this, but on, we're all going to be, um, old and we're all going to be on our deathbed and we're going to wish we had, you know, done something impactful, um, yeah. and taken a little bit of risk. Um, and, um, I, I'm a big believer in, in, in making sure you, you, um, follow what you feel called to, to do.
0: Well, I think, and you said it well earlier, with, that's what's cool about Rook Capital, right? If Rook Capital succeeds, it's with the impact that it could have on so many people's lives that may never have had a home, but yeah. because of Rook, they, they were able to buy a home, yeah. right? That, you know, they raised their family in for 20 years, or maybe it was less, or they were able to then move into another neighborhood because they actually had equity, right? Like right. that impact is huge. Yeah. Um, so that's something to be excited about. I'm sure the team and motivates them to to wake up every day and work, and work the hours that you still have to work in a startup.
1: Yeah, it does. It keeps it keeps them it keeps them interested for sure, and it keeps them driving because um, it's worthwhile. Um, and at the same time, you know they just like I do, I want to invest in real estate too. They want to invest yeah. in real estate, but it's hard. It's hard to invest in real estate. So if you could do both, that's that's the kind of the the nice intersection of what we're yeah. trying
0: to do. Yeah, most people that learn very quickly, real estate is not a passive investment, right? Yeah, you're, right. You're, you're managing everything, you name it, that goes wrong with the house, where this is actually, it's like an index fund, right? Or it's truly yeah. more passive.
1: Yep, that's right. Yeah.
0: Well, Ed, this was an absolute pleasure, again, to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Excited to, to see what you build up for capital and what the next 10 years looks like.
1: Uh, thanks, Matt. Really good to see you, and thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Thanks, Ed. Take right, care. Take care.